This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Next on Plains FM, host Tina Dakin-Luke interviews inspiring women on This Is Who We Are. Welcome, I'm Tina Dakem-Luke and this is Who We Are. I've often joked with friends that if I had the means, I would be a patron of the arts, gifting finances and support in lieu of appreciating others' innate talents. So it wasn't surprising that my Mother's Day gift to myself, which happened to coincide with my companion's birthday, was an afternoon at an art show. My two companions have a habit of perusing art, then showing each other their favourite piece and articulating why. My eye was drawn to an abstract artist who also had a wonderful piece that reminded me of Greenstone. It had captured the solidness, but also mystery, of the object in perspective. I got chatting, as I do, and took the artist's card. I have since commissioned a number of pieces for myself and friends. And through that journey, began to learn there was a very interesting soul behind the art who has more than one string to her bow. So grab a drink, pull up a chair, get comfy, and I will introduce her after this song. There'll be no strings to bind your hands Not if my love can find your heart There's no Take a stand, for it was I who chose to start. I see no need to take me home. I'm old enough to face the
Welcome to the studio, Vanessa Wienink. It's such a treat to have this time with you. Gosh, your intro song took me back to my childhood. Can you tell us what made you choose that piece? Well, it was uh, expressions of joy and fun when I was a child, um, but it also has this kind of melancholy, kind of um, sort of sad air to it as well, and uh, that's kind of me, really, both joyful and melancholic sometimes, yeah. Oh, a lovely mixture and balance. I like to consider myself a lifelong learner, not afraid to question my beliefs and assumptions. And our chats have led me to deep dive into turning a couple of my beliefs on their head. Facebook often shows memes that are said to answer whether we are left or right brain dominant. You said an interesting thing when uh, I made a left brain dominant quip that neuroscience has disproven this pseudoscience belief. Can you speak a little more to that? Yeah, it's one of those things that um, persists through, you know, popular culture and popular psychology is this idea of left and right brained. Uh, and it is, um, it's, it doesn't really pan out when people have done, you know, studies using uh, things like um, PET scanners, which is an active um, way of showing what's happening in the brain. So uh, when you do studies using those kind of imaging which is a quite useful real-time studies that shows not a great deal of um, support for that kind of concept. Sure, there are different parts of the brain that are used for different things, but um, and some people are, um, are more um, artistic or more um, sort of concrete in their thinking, but um, there's a lot of plasticity in the brain and um, things aren't really set. Uh, you know, other things like... Um, personality tests and things like that, often just models that we use to give us an idea about who we are and explain the world. But they don't, there's no, there's no one model that's perfect mm -hmm. that explains everything. And so there's elements of all of them that probably have um, some truth to them, but um, they often don't hold up in the end to, you know, rigorous scientific endeavours. <laughs> Fancy that. Yeah. <laughs> Another gem was when you said that people have a belief that medicine is a hard science, um, but that's not correct. Can you elaborate? Yeah, well, hard science is really um, very um, quantitatively driven with numbers and um, really observable all the time and reproducible, uh, whereas medicine, there's a lot of art to it. And what we mean by that is that there's a lot of subjective elements, there's a lot of emotion that comes into it and um, a lot of the time what we're doing is trying to apply what we know from a scientific background to one individual and that's a lot of guesswork sometimes and a lot of um, using um, overlearned skills or what other people call intuition to try and figure out what the best um, thing to do is and so um, it's not a hard and fast rule often, yeah. That's fascinating. Now, you have a background in the military. You run a successful medical practice. What made you decide to put your hand up to chair the medical council? Well, I'm the deputy chair at the moment and chair of the General Practitioners Council. Ah. Yeah, so the um, of the New Zealand Medical Association, so it's different to the medical council, so people okay. get confused. I'm confused. So all of these Can you explain? Yeah, so the medical council oversees the regulation of doctors. Yes. The New Zealand Medical Association is a professional association across all of the spe different specialties in medicine. Ah. Um, and so I chair the General Practitioners Advisory Council to the board, and then I'm the deputy chair of the board for the medical association. I just need to take a breath taking all that in. <laughs> How on earth do you balance your commitments and still find time for your art? Yeah, a lot of people ask me that. Um, and time is a funny thing where um, 
I actually managed to pack a lot in, I think, because, and I always feel like I've got a lot of time, and time is a is in many ways in a psychological experience of it. Um, and my experience of it is that it's abundant and that I have, um, you know, plenty of things to do and I can sort of arrange things so that I get everything done. Um, I guess some people are um, able to do that and focus and I've just always been able to do that and focus and just get things done when it needs to get done. And I'm a big fan of um, delegation. Yes. <laughs> so I have, you know, um, children that are very helpful, a husband that's marvellous and, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be able to pay other people to do things like clean the house and do the garden and, um, you know, help me out with other things. So I have um, a person that does some administrative tasks for me as well. So, you know, it's not like I do it all alone. You know, I've got great staff at the practice and um, at the NZMA who do a lot. And um, often it's a matter of just kind of orchestrating things. <laughs> it sounds like you also have trust in who you've delegated to so that there's no sort of part of you that's picking up going, oh, I feel like I need to micromanage here. You're actually delegating correctly. Yeah, and I, I haven't actually got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> And something that we've talked about in our chats is uh, you explained to me concurrent time and, and doing yeah. tasks. In yeah, that so way. concurrent activity is a really great um, military term. Ah, <laughs> yeah. So concurrent activity means that you are doing more than one thing, and usually that those things can't be things that you have to focus on intently. Uh, so you know. And I think probably a lot of people do this without even realising that's what they're doing. And I'll be um, catching up on listening to educational podcasts or other podcasts uh, while I'm folding the laundry. That's actually concurrent activity. Um, and, you know, um, driving somewhere, I'll listen to things. Um, doing exercise, I'm listening to things. So that's actually, and that's actually time when I'm also thinking about things. So I have to write a couple of columns and things for a magazine and that's when I, you know, I'll exercise and think at the same time. And often people are doing that and they don't realise that what they're doing is actually something useful um, and actually getting something productive out of that. And that does feel achievable to me because mm -hmm. what I'm noticing in my middle age that I'm struggling with is the ability to um, do more than two or three high focused tasks at the same time, I no longer can multitask. Yeah, I'd, I've never really believed in the idea of multitasking. I just focus on one thing at a time and give that all my attention when I need to focus on something. Um, otherwise, um, I, I don't do it well enough or, you know, or miss things. And yeah. You have to take a little bit of attention, well, quite a lot of attention to things like um, reading letters and signing off results. And oh, absolutely. When, and, and seeing yeah. patients and all of that sort of thing. So that actually takes quite a lot of mental energy. And then, you know, finding time for art is, um, well, it's become such a re restorative thing for me. It's kind of vital. So I kind of, uh, as much as anything, I feel like I, I need to do it. It's as as much as um, as I need to eat well and get enough sleep and need to exercise. I know now that I, I need to do, uh, you know, some form of time in my little um, art studio <laughs> um, doing something creative to actually, you know, recharge those batteries. And that's become even more apparent during the pandemic, you know, when other things like planning holidays and going on holidays aren't really available to me, or at mm. least not fun overseas ones. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's been really important. It helps to calm me. Have yeah. you always been creative? 
Well, I have on and off. I think when I was a child, I was, and my mother was quite creative. And um, at some points, and you know, my son's um, growing up, I've you know had little art fun times with him. But it wasn't really until about uh, two years ago when I took some time out of clinical medicine to do a postgraduate diploma in public health that I had real time to think about what I want to do and what I enjoy and um, had time to um, watch, you know, Pinterest videos and things. And I found myself getting really attracted to um, alcohol inks and uh, sort of abstract artists and just that the beauty of that and I thought I'll give it a go and I just really enjoyed it really loved it what appealed to you about that um, well firstly just the color and the sponsor just the joy of it mm-hmm. and um, the the fact that you you have a little bit of control but not much and so there's often a surprise about what comes through and uh, with abstracts it's the um, the breaking down of an idea or um, an image into the component parts and uh, trying to express emotion through putting colour and shapes and things onto a page is quite a uh, intellectual exercise but it's also you've got to let yourself go you can't overthink it and you've got to sort of suspend a little bit of your brain at the same time so it's it's quite a, a, a great process to learn and to do and the fact that I'm learning a lot is appealing to me as well because I am just a beginner still and just picking things up and learning new techniques. I think something that um, really fascinated me was that I was able to give you quite a small brief and yet you delivered. <laughs> so without sort of knowing the person it was for, uh, you really nailed something that they loved. And to me, that's a gift. Not everybody can really hone in and, and let themselves still be creative and free, but also mm. create something that others love as well. Well, thank you. I think actually in my practice as a GP, we become very good at um, quickly understanding people um, and uh, because we see so many people, we start to see patterns and you hear stories and um, you start to understand people very quickly and get a sense of them. Mm. And I think that's um, something that probably all experienced GPs do. Uh, is you learn to read the patient. You learn to read people really quickly. Um, and But also you have to be, have an open mind about things. So... Um, yeah, I think that's partly innate, but partly, um, as you say, a gift, but it's also just a really overlearned skill from thousands of patients. <laughs> entrenched. Yeah, yeah, it's become <laughs> entrenched. Yeah. Now, vulnerability, because I'm imagining that opening up uh, your heart and your mind and putting it on paper and then letting others see it, that must have been quite vulnerable. Yeah, the decision to start exhibiting and to show people other than, you know, friends and family uh, was quite a, dis- a big decision for me. It was quite a big choice. And um, it is it is a kind of a scary feeling in some ways. But um, there was one of my bosses a few years ago told me that um, my greatest strength is my vulnerability. If I'd only just let other people see it, it would really help them to understand me better um, and kind of soften some of the edges. And so when it came to sharing my art, there became a bit of a practical element of, you know, you're doing all of this stuff and it's a form of communication, but you're not communicating it to anybody else. So maybe it's time. Uh, And it was a way of um, 
connecting with other people. And so joining Arts Canterbury was a really big step for me because they do group exhibitions and, um, you know, realising that's other people that are, you know, feeling a little bit insecure and um, uncertain about this at the same time was really helpful and they're a really, really supportive group. So it's been um, just this year that I started exhibiting with Arts Canterbury mainly and it's been really reinforcing. And then I sort of reflected the other day um, that my patients are vulnerable with me all the time and that's fine with me and it's you know, it's okay with them and it's, it's fine to be vulnerable. It's, um, yeah, it's a really um, stretching, growing time. Yeah. That's so true. And it's not a negative. So I guess, you know, sometimes we were, we were taught that being vulnerable was a failure, but actually um, more and more we're being asked to question it and, and really see it as a strength. Yeah. And I think actually the more um, jobs, you know, positions of responsibility that I get, the more I realise that um, it is useful to be able to show uncertainty and vulnerability uh, so that other people don't get the <laughs> impression that I, that you know everything and yeah. that, um, or that, you know, you're, you've got the answers to everything because that's disempowering to others. And, you know, you want to be able to make sure that other people come up with ideas because and uh, express them because I certainly don't have all the answers or ideas for everything. That's profound to me because it's almost like what you're signalling there is you're giving permission to others in the room that even in a professional context, and it doesn't mean we take our professional hat off, Mm. but that we're allowed to keep our humanness and that we are all of our feelings, all of our emotions, and they don't necessarily always trip us up negatively. Yeah, and I think um, if I had to think of a song to sort of represent doctors or GPs in particular, it would be that... um, the rag and bone man, I'm only human after all. Yes. Yeah, don't put your blame on me. <laughs> I love that song, yeah. actually, yeah. yeah. Because I, I was contemplating that after our last chat that we often forget that GPs are human. Yeah, yeah people do. People um, often forget that uh, we have bad days, that we have days when uh, we didn't sleep last night because the kids were up sick all night. Um You know, we have um, things that will, um, for whatever reason, trip us up and we'll have blind spots. Um, We we have just the same kind of cognitive errors that everybody does. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, yeah, we do make mistakes. We're human. All of us do. All doctors do. And um, there's quite a big burden that comes with that when we know that we have made a mistake um, and we probably beat ourselves up more than we should. And it's really hard when we are sort of faced with having made mistakes and the impact that it has on other people, and we tend to take it pretty hard. Um, and I guess that a lot of people feel like um, that we should know, that we should have done things, um, and that's that's often the case. And getting getting past that, people often forget that there is a person behind that who's experiencing pretty intense emotions, Um and there's a high level of burnout with GPs. Would, there was a recent study with the College of General Practitioners that showed that 31% of GPs are experiencing uh, symptoms of burnout and doctors in the hospitals are experiencing that at rates of about 50%. And mm. you know, the average population, it's about 10 to 11% burnout in most professions. So it's pretty up there and, um, and that's, yeah, worrying. Yeah. 
Now, you mentioned to me that uh, you recently had a 15-year reunion with, with some colleagues. Uh, was it from those that you studied with at med school? Oh, so we're getting close to 20 oh, years coming goodness. up. Yeah, yeah. so um, we're, we're planning for a 20-year reunion um, next year. Uh, and I, I bumped into some colleagues at uh, a recent conference and we were just sort of reflecting on the fact that time just flies by so quickly. And, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to believe that it's been next year's 20 years since graduation. <laughs> and it's uh, also being shown that you're all quite a creative bunch. Yeah, there's there's a, a lot of us who are doing artistic things and there's a lot of musicians. There's actually an Artist Doctors Society oh, great. based here out of Christchurch, actually. Yeah. Um, and there's an artist um, orchestra as well. So that's pretty cool. And um, so once a year, there's a, a Artist Doctors Society exhibition and concert, which is a couple of weeks ago now. Uh, that's always a great night, and yeah, lots of people come. It's actually really lovely to know that those things exist. Mm. So if anybody is wanting to have a closer look at your work or learn more about you, how could they contact you? Well, uh, I have a website, vanessaweeningart.com, and I'm also on Instagram, and Facebook under those same handles. So, yeah, there's, they're all sort of public and open if anyone's interested. to. I think most of my art that I've ever done is on Instagram. Okay. And I've got some things for sale on my website. And I've noticed you've also started blogging, so it's another way of understanding yeah. where, you're, where you're coming from with your art too. Yeah, learning to write uh, when I was doing my postgrad um, was really helpful and um, been much more confident about doing that. So just writing a few things... So it just gives people a bit more background to me if they're looking into my art and things. Is there anything we haven't touched on today that you'd like to chat about as we finish up? I guess the main thing is that I'd like uh, people to realise that their GP has probably got some amazing stories behind them as well. Um, has done some interesting things in their lives and um, to see them as a human and a um, not just a resource. And so when you're going in to interact with them, um, the list that you bring and the <laughs> tasks that you've got to do um, are important, but it's also a time to connect with that person who will be there for you long term. Thank you so much for your time today and letting us have a little peek behind the stethoscope. It's been really lovely to see the creative side that is there and so many people that we might view as being more um, perhaps cognitively based, but that actually all of us is creative, even in science and maths and if yeah. we look at physics, then there's so much beauty out there, even in the numbers, which is interesting for me to say because I struggle with numbers, but I'm <laughs> yeah. learning to look at life differently. Yeah, great. So thank you for the insights. And thanks so much for the opportunity. Art has the capacity to transect societal boundaries and create a bridge of connection within ourselves, each other and our environment. Creativity is a balm in uncertain times and a healing practice to bring peace and joy alongside beauty into the physical. We all have the ability to be creative in our own unique way. Remember, the next time you sit in front of your GP, that they are a complex and nuanced person, just like you. Kia kaha Christchurch.